Well, man, it's, it's really good to see you guys here this morning. I am so excited about this series. I, I've been pumped. I've been looking forward to today and to the beginning of this series. Uh, ever since we decided to do it back in like October, November last year, we went away and talked about what we wanted the focus of our year to be as a church. And when we came up with, with this idea and where we were going, not just the focus for this year, but for all of the years and, and knowing that, that what was going to happen last week was going to happen and that we were going to launch this series the week after. I've been waiting for today for about three and a half months. I'm really, really excited about today. Hey, if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Brian and I'm one of the pastors here and I have the honor today of kicking off our series called The Art of Neighboring and I want to set it up this way. Uh, I'm a parent. I got two kids. Uh, I got a a 12-year-old and a 10-year-old and one of my pet peeves as a parent, I have many. Many of them. One, one of my many pet peeves as a parent is wasted food. Parents in the room, how, do, how many of you? How many with you? I hate when my kids waste food. There's a lot of amen going on here right now. That's awesome, right? So um, I hate, hate, hate wasting food. I make the argument to my kids, wasting food, I might as well just open a trash can and dump open my wallet. Like That's how it feels to me when I see you throw away food that we paid Four. True story. Just this week. Just this week. True story. Uh, my daughter Leah, we wanted to get her the kids chicken nuggets thing from Chick-fil-A. She wanted a sandwich and she begged and argued and pleaded. I don't want nuggets. I'm big enough. I can eat the sandwich. She ate about half the sandwich and was ready to quit. And I said, you got two options. You can eat that sandwich now. You can eat it for breakfast in the morning or option, sub-option B, you can give me $5. <laughs> that probably makes me a horrible parent that I made my 10-year-old pay me for her Chick-fil-A, but I did it. I did it. You can eat it or you can pay for it. I'm tired of wasting food. Did we just clap for bad parenting? Yes. Yes. Clap for abusive parenting. All right, good. That's awesome. I love my church. <laughs> I love my church. Now, most of you are probably like me, and, and your kids probably like mine if you have them, or if you remember being a kid, that, that when they're, they're really little and you're trying to get them to eat and they don't want to eat because you know, they're looking forward to dessert, they got dessert on the brain, then, then it starts the food negotiations. Are you with me? Like, all right, I want you to eat four bites right? Come on, again, how many of you? How many of you, how many have done it? Yep, we've all done it, right? And then, and then well, well, how about two bites? Can, can, can I do two? Can I only eat two? Nope, I'm sticking at four. And then, and then you have to negotiate the size of the bite, right? Like I'm thinking like forkful is a bite and they're trying to eat like a piece of corn, you know what I mean? Like this is a bite, right? So, you got this total negotiation going on because you don't want them to die from malnutrition and they're trying to argue with you about whether or not you should or should not let them die from malnutrition, right? You, you feeling me? If you, if, you don't, if you don't have kids yet, just wait. It's fun. It's awesome. You're going to love it. Be a parent, they said. It's, it is wonderful. I love, I love being a dad. I love my kids. But sometimes I want to let them starve. Like, that's just how it, that's just how it works. And ultimately what's going on in that scenario it is a negotiation 
of this magnitude, what's the least I can get away with? Like there's cake over there, and I want cake, but I'm staring at potatoes, right? I'd rather have cake, I'm staring at, how little of the potato can I eat to still get access to the cake, right? Now that I think about it, I kind of get it, right? <laughs> kind of makes sense to me. I'd rather have my cake first too. But that's the question that they're asking. What's the, what's the least that I can do? To get what I want. A very similar conversation happened between a lawyer in Scripture and Jesus. Please don't read too much into the fact that it was a lawyer. But it was because that's what Scripture tells us. So if you have your Bibles and you want to look with me at this encounter, we're going to see this play out. Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 25. One day, an expert in religious law stood up to watch this test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? In other words, Jesus, what do I got to do to get into heaven? What do I got to do? Jesus replied, well, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? And the man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength, and all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Right. Jesus told the man, told him, right, you're right. Do this and you'll live forever. Now, doesn't that seem pretty straightforward to you? Jesus, what do I got to do to get into into heaven? What do I got to do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, I don't know, what do you think? And the guy says, well, I got to love the Lord my God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength, and I got to love my neighbor as myself. Jesus is like, yep, you got it, man. Congratulations. But that's not the end of the story. Right? So back to my parenting model, right? What do I got to do to get the cake? You got to eat five bites and potatoes. Okay. Asked, answered, straightforward. Here's the question. Here's the answer. Here's the question. Here's the answer. It's really easy. That wasn't enough for this guy. So he follows up. Verse 29. The man Wanted to, watch this, you ready for this? The man wanted to justify his actions. There's motive, right? We're tracking? This is the motive. He wanted to justify his actions. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now we're going to get to Jesus' answer or Jesus' reply in just a minute. But before we do that, I want to focus in on the question and the motivation behind the question by, by asking you a couple of questions. If, um, if you're a boss or a manager or a, a business owner or a supervisor, if you're in charge of other people, is not your favorite employee the one that does the bare minimum? Don't you just love them? Like, man, I wish I had 15 more people that wanted to do the bare minimum. Man, if I could get 10 more of you, I'd be. If you work with somebody, you're a coworker that just does just enough to get by, that gives you the opportunity to do more work, Don't, aren't those your favorite people to work with? Husbands, 
Husbands, don't you feel most loved on the days that your wife chooses not to cheat on you? Isn't that, isn't that, doesn't that make you feel awesome? Isn't that the best feeling? And she didn't cheat on me today. Friends, don't you love it the most? Doesn't it make you feel the most loved and respected by your friends on days that they don't walk up and punch you in the face? I, I could do this all day. In every relationship and in every interaction that we have with every person. Parents, don't you love it when you tell your kids to help you clean the house and they pick up one thing? They have, by definition, helped you clean the house. The, the lawyer's question in Luke 10, who's my neighbor? Like, let's, let's define the terms. What's the least that I can get away with, Jesus? What's the, what's the bare minimum I have to do? And, and let's not forget that he's talking about eternal life. Like, Jesus, if there's a line that, that all I got to do is, is get above the line to get into heaven, to inherit eternal life. Jesus, where is the line? Because I want to just make it in. No buffer. No what's the, what's the most that I can do to make sure that I'm in. But Jesus, what's the least that I can do? Who, who do I really have to be a neighbor to? Who's, who are we saying is my neighbor? Because I want to make sure that I don't show compassion and love with all my heart so, or love as myself anybody that I don't have to. So Jesus, who's my neighbor? And Jesus, being Jesus, and this masterful teacher is going to tell him a story. But before we get there, let me, let me help you. Um, because if you and I are asking the question, what do I have to do to get into heaven? How bad can I be and still get in? How Christian do I really have to be to pass the test? Let, let me help you. If you're asking those questions, you ain't getting in. <laughs> like that is not the heart of a follower of Christ to ask the question, what's the minimum I can do? How bad can I be and still get in? If you're even asking the question, your heart is not after Christ. And neither was this guy's. And so Jesus is going to reveal to him a better question to be asking. And he does it through a story. And this is the story. Luke 10 verses 30 through 36. Jesus replied with a story. A Jewish man was traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and he was attacked by bandits. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him up, left him half dead beside the road. By chance, a priest came along. But when he saw the man lying there, he crossed to the other side of the road and passed him by. A temple assistant, or a, it could be like a worship leader, or they were called Levites in, in the Greek. A temple assistant walked by walked over and looking, looked at him lying there, but he also passed by on the other side. Then a despised Samaritan came along 
And when he saw the man, he felt compassion for him. Going over to him, the Samaritan soothed his wounds with olive oil and wine and bandaged them. Then he put the man on his own donkey and took him to an inn where he took care of him. The next day, he handed the innkeeper two silver coins, telling him, take care of this man. If his bill runs higher than this, I'll pay you the next time I'm here. And then Jesus asked the question. Now, which of these three would you say was a neighbor to the man who was attacked by bandits, Jesus asked. We don't even need to read his answer because we know, don't we? And the answer is that it's the one who had compassion for the man that he saw hurting and in need of help. The one who showed compassion. You see, if you want to write this down, the better question than who is my neighbor is how can I be a neighbor? If we're asking the question, who do I have to serve? then we're asking the wrong question. The better question is not who is my neighbor, but how can I be a neighbor? See, here's what the lawyer was doing. Typical lawyer fashion. I would assume most lawyers do this. It's part of their job. He's looking for a loophole, right? Let's define the terms. Let's make sure that we're all speaking the same language. Let's make sure that nothing happens that we don't want to happen or that we don't need to happen. Let's, let's define all the terms to make sure that we meet the requirements that are being asked of us. Where's, where's the loophole? Here's what you and I have to do if we want to be followers of Christ. If we want to be good neighbors, if we want to start asking the right question of how can I be a neighbor or, how, or better yet, how can I be a better neighbor, then we have to stop looking for the loophole. The question, who is my neighbor, asks, how little can I do? How do I be a better neighbor or how do I become a better neighbor? Asks, how much can I do and where can I get involved? How can I be a better neighbor? It is looking for, for opportunities as they arise. I, I, uh, I'm a big comic book fan. Like I love the, the superhero stories and things. Um, and, and I like Spider-Man. It's one of my favorites. And the thing that I like about Spider-Man, is he's got, um, he's got spidey sense, right? Like he knows when danger is there, even though we can't see it. That's what I think that God would have us to do if we're going to be better neighbors is that we walk around with this opportunity spidey sense. Right, that we walk around with this awareness that every single day that God is going to place into our lives opportunities for us to be good neighbors to people that need somebody to be a good neighbor to them. But oftentimes, and we talked a little bit about this last week, we're so busy and we're so caught up in all the things that we have to accomplish and all the people that, that we're already serving and all the things that we already have as, as demands on our time that we walk around not with an awareness, not looking for opportunities as they come, but just trying to get to the next place that we have to be to do the next thing that we have to do. Just like the priest and just like the temple assistant. But when Jesus asked which one of these men was a neighbor, it was the guy, despite his, his position within Jewish hierarchy and law, 
Actually, a man that would have been despised by the Jews, the Samaritan guy. I love that Jesus uses the person that they would have reviled the most to make the hero of the story. But it was, had nothing to do with his upbringing or his background or where he was from. But it was the one who had an awareness of the moment. And the one who took the opportunity to love well. To, to go the, the extra length. To go all in and in investing in a man that in Jesus' story he doesn't know. He had an awareness of the situation that allowed him to be sensitive and receptive to the man's need. And then he chose to show compassion in the most amazing way possible. Not just helping him out for the moment, but he carries him to an inn. He takes care of him. He pays the innkeeper to to take care of him further and then says, man, if, if there's anything else that I need to do, I'll do that too. Whatever it takes, make sure that this guy gets what he needs. We committed last week to be a church that's, that's for people. Not just those that, are, that, that, are, that we're already in relationship with, but we were going to be a church that, that looked for the opportunities to, to invest more, to, 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 to stretch ourselves, to be more available, to be more aware, and to be more for the people that we see. And I may have communica- miscommunicated a bit last week, and so I wanted to provide some clarity. I listened to the message back on the podcast, and I was a little, like, Brian, you probably need to clear that up. So for those of you who were here last week, pay, tune in, right? When we talk about being a church that's for people, when we talk about being a church that wants to be good neighbors to those around us, this is not an evangelism strategy. Our end goal is not that I will be nice to you, I will be nice to these people that I am for, so that they will become followers of Jesus. We tracking? It's not an evangelism strategy. I am not being a good person to you because I want you to do something. And people don't like to be projects. And being for people is not a church growth Strategy. This is not, we're going to be a church that's for people so that they'll come to our church. That's not it at all. But we're, we want to be a church, we want to be a people that are for people because Jesus said, this is what it takes to inherit eternal life. That if you're really, that people who inherit eternal life are those who are God's children, those who do follow Christ. And what Jesus would say, if you follow that equation, is that if you are a Christian, then you're good to people regardless of the result. Yeah. It's, it's not an evangelism strategy. Do we, ho- do we want everybody in the world to have a relationship with Jesus? Yes. But our call to be good neighbors is not so that they will agree with us. That, that it's, it should be innate to who we are because we are followers of Christ. You see, a common problem that, that, we, that, I, that I find in, in Christendom, Christianity as a whole, is that we all know that Christians are supposed to love everybody, right? And we are. We are supposed to love everybody. We're supposed to have compassion for everybody. The problem is when we say Christians are supposed to have compassion for everybody, go do it. You feel like you have to reach the world. 
I have to be compassionate to the whole world. That's a lot of people. That's billions with a B. I have to be compassionate to billions of people. I don't even know where to start. And it feels overwhelming. And it feels like too much. But I heard from a pastor many years ago that the best way to follow the, the, the teachings and the examples of Jesus are to do for one what you wish you could do for all. Isn't that what happened in, in Jesus' story? And we're not told anything about the man that was mugged and beat up by, by robbers. We're not told anything about him. The Samaritan takes care of him. One man. The Samaritan didn't save a nation. I think when we read this story, and it's been retold, all of us in church, out of church, believer, non-believer, everybody knows the term, the good Samaritan, don't we? You hear it in TV shows and movies and things that have absolutely nothing to do with Jesus or the church. We hear the term, the good Samaritan. Why? Because there's a famous story in the Bible that talks about the good Samaritan. Everybody knows what it means. But in this iconic story, the hero of the story doesn't save a nation. He helps a man. One man. And it doesn't tell us that that man goes on to give his life to Christ or that that man goes on to become a priest himself. It doesn't tell us any of that, any of that. It just tells us that one man made a decision to be a good neighbor as the opportunity arose. And Jesus said, that's what it takes to inherit eternal life. That we walk through our life with this spidey sense awareness of opportunities that are around us. We told you last week that we wanted you to identify four people. And, again, I, I got a little excited last week. I was really excited about, about what we had going on last week. I got a little excited. I might have, again, miscommunicated. So I, I want to help you identify those four. I want to help clarify what we mean when we say identify your four. I don't want you to think about the people that are the worst people that you know. Oh, my gosh, if anybody needs a relationship with Jesus, it's that person. That's not who we're talking about because it's not an evangelism strategy. And it's not, oh, I, I got this friend. They really need to be in church. And so I'm going to be nice to them so that they'll come to church. It's not a church growth strategy. It might take you six, eight weeks to come up with your four. Here's what we're asking for you to do as you try to identify the four that you're going to be for. Four people, not the world. You got to love it. You got to love all of them. We want you to be a neighbor to four. We're going to turn neighboring into, we want you to go neighbor four people. We'll turn it into a verb. Love everybody, neighbor a few. And here's how you identify them. First things first, you've got to pray. You have got to beg of God that he would open your eyes and increase your perception that you might be able to see the needs where they arise. If we walk through our life with the blinders of busyness and distraction, we're going to miss the opportunities as they come. But we have an opportunity, I believe, every day to interact with people that need somebody to be a good neighbor to them. It just requires of us that we take the time to do so. So as you walk through this life with, with, with prayer-fueled awareness that, God, I am on the lookout for somebody that I can neighbor once that opportunity is revealed to you or presented to you or made known to you, however it happens, God works within the mind and the heart of every believer through the power of his Holy Spirit. 
as God reveals to you the opportunities that he wants you to take part in, then, once it's identified, then play the long game. It's not throwing a couple bucks at a dude with the, with the, the sign out by the road. It's, it's, going the extra, it's going all in, a full-fledged investment that exceeds both their expectation and your anticipation. What you anticipated it would cost you. Go further than you planned to go. Go further than you've ever gone before in investing in somebody that needs somebody to be a good neighbor to them. That's what we're asking. And here's the thing. It's going to be weird and awkward and out of the ordinary for you because we're asking you to stretch yourself, to go further than you've gone before with people in relationship that you, you would, I would have never gone this far. I would have never done this much because the, the good Samaritan is the example that we're working from, right? That picked the guy up, put him on his own horse, cared for his wounds, took him to an inn, cared for him there for a day, paid the innkeeper to take. Who does that? Christians. Christ followers. Here's the sad reality, right? Here's the sad reality in our Americanized Christianity. Lukewarm Christianity has made authentic Christianity look radical. Hasn't it? To do this, it sounds like, whoa, who would do that? Christians. This, this is what Jesus said. You want to be a Christ follower? This is what it looks like to neighbor somebody. This is what it looks like to love your neighbor as yourself. Go and do that and you will live. And here's what a lot of us have done. Here's what, here's what a lot of us have done, right? All right, all right, all right, right. Who are we talking about here? Who's my neighbor? Wrong question. Better question. How much more can I do? If, if that's what it takes to be a Christ follower, then I want to go way far and above that because I want to make sure that eternity with my heavenly father and Jesus my savior is locked up. I don't want to take any chances. And it, even, even in that, there, there might be some, some, some unhealthy motivation because that's still about me trying to get to heaven. This is about me honoring the Christ that died for me. He, he was a, a good neighbor to us long before we could be a good neighbor to anybody else, doing for us what we needed, going the extra mile, even to the point of giving his life. And then it calls of us to go and just give of ourselves for the benefit of other people. Go be a good neighbor. Go be compassionate. Go, go walk in the awkward of going further than anybody would expect you to. Stretch yourself. That's why we chose the rubber bands. And that's why we chose stretch stories for our board out there. Because every single time that you choose to stretch, to go further, to do more, to be better, to love more, to be more compassionate, Every time you invest in one of your four that God brings into your life, that he presents an opportunity and you take advantage of that opportunity to show love to somebody, every time that you do that, every time that you make an effort to increase the spiritual temperature of one of your four, we want you to put a rubber band on the, on the board out there that says four because we want that to be a visual representation of an opportunity that you took to stretch yourself outside of your comfort zone to go further and do more. And here's the amazing thing about rubber bands. I don't know if it's amazing, but it's just true. Here's a, here's a truth about rubber bands. I, I exaggerate a little bit every now and then. 
Every time you stretch a rubber band, it never goes back to its original size. The more that they get stretched and the more often that they get stretched, the larger that they stay. Man, what an opportunity before us. As we, like a rubber band, stretch ourselves, we never return to to the neighbor that we were. Every time that we walk in the awkward, every time that we stretch ourselves beyond our comfort zone, our comfort zone grows. That we become more and more comfortable in situations that we find ourselves that we wouldn't have years before or opportunities before. This is an incredible opportunity for each and every one of us. As we stretch ourselves, as we tell stretch stories in our connect groups, as we put our rubber bands on the board to indicate that we're doing what it is that God has called us to. Every time that happens, you and I will grow in our own faith and become a better example of the Jesus that died for us. What an incredible opportunity that we have. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Father, God, today, would you, Father, convict our hearts. God, help us. Help us to see every time in our own hearts and minds that we're asking the question, who is my neighbor? What's the least that I can do? Can I do less and still get away with it? God, what's the minimum requirement that you have for me? God, convict us. Father, show us our sin. Show us our selfishness, our busyness, our distraction. God, show us where we've asked the wrong question. And God, I pray that as you reveal to us every time that we've gotten it wrong, every time that we've done less than what was asked or less than what was expected, every time we've sought out the path of least resistance, God, that you would challenge each and every one of us to be more compassionate, to love better, to neighbor better, to stretch ourselves so that you receive the glory for a life change through the obedience of your people. God, make us an example to those around us. As we love them, not because we want anything from them, not because we want them to agree, not even because we want them to become a follower of Christ, but just because we are trying to do what you've asked of us. God, would you help us to walk boldly in it? And we'll give you all the glory for every life that's changed as a result, including our own. We thank you, God, for the opportunity that we have to partner with you in sharing your love to a world that needs some better neighbors. Father, we love you. We thank you that we can respond to all of this because of what we've seen through you and your son, Jesus. It's in his name I pray. Amen.